Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the L.A. Steel Show. I'm Lila. And I'm Leo. And tonight we got, uh, we got a good show for you. Um, we have just... some things from the union that we're going to talk about, because tonight is our union show. Yes. Yes, yes. And here in Connecticut... Did our music play? Yeah, it did. It did. Oh. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, here in oh. Connecticut, um, we have a huge deficit. And unfortunately, the governor is trying to balance the budget on the backs of unions uh, yeah. and public employees. They're the ones that are going to suffer the most. And um, we have some things that we're going to read to you. Yeah. And the layoff notices are going to go out in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah. I don't know how this is going to help balance the budget, but let's read Well, this it. is in Connecticut, so we've got some real issues here in the state. It's just... Um, Pink slips will be going out to state employees over the next few weeks as Governor Daniel Malloy and lawmakers look to close a $900 million budget deficit. Following a closed-door budget meeting Wednesday with legislative leaders, Malloy said he told them that the time frame for those notices to go out is a couple of weeks, give or take a couple of days. In order to achieve the hundreds of millions of dollars in savings from reducing the state labor force, Malloy must make sure the laid-off state employees leave service before June 9th. He said they're trying to understand what bumping rights and contractual restrictions they are before we begin that process. You'd like to know what people's real chances are of keeping their jobs. You don't want to inflict any more pain, Malloy said. He declined to say how many state employees will be laid off in order to balance the budget. It's a very, very substantial number, Malloy said. We're working on it. The state will have a better handle on how many people plan to retire by the end of the week. Malloy said he wants to see that number before going forward with the layoffs. If you retire, please retire and save somebody else's job, Malloy said. Layoff estimates have varied depending upon whom you speak with in the state, at the state capitol. But the range has been between two and 3,000. In 2011, Malloy sent pink slips to more than 3,000 state employees when they failed to ratify the changes to their health and pension plan. Those changes, which were eventually approved through a second vote, saved the state about $1.6 billion a year. 
hundred of state employees came to the state capitol Tuesday to fight back against Malloy's suggestion that they open up the health and bene pension benefit package before it expires in 2022. Malloy and legislative leaders have called on the unions to offer more concessions to help them balance the budget, but so far the unions have said they're not interested. State workers said the governor and lawmakers shouldn't balance the budget on their back because it's not their fault the state is in the current fiscal price crisis. It's not their fault they didn't do it, Malloy said, but circumstances are what they are. The state's budget deficit has been blamed on failing, falling personal income tax revenues due to the changing economy that's adding more jobs at the bottom of the pay scale than at the top. State Senate President Martin Looney, Democrat New Haven, said Malloy told them that hundreds of millions of dollars will have to be covered by employee layoffs in order to close the budget deficit. Looney said legislative leaders also weren't giving a firm number about how many state employees would be impacted by the layoffs. That's pretty scary for people. Yeah. What's different this year is that there's no opportunity for Malloy to offer a no layoff pledge like he did in 2011. Malloy has insisted there has to be layoffs in order to shrink the size of government to a level the state can afford under this new economic reality. Wow. So what is the union gonna what are the unions gonna do? Well, they're right now they're they're just arguing, they're picketing. Yeah. But there's not there's not a whole lot more they can do. They're trying. I'd like to know how many people they're gonna lay off. They expect three thousand, up to three thousand. Uh, 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 Let's say notice, notice is expected in about two weeks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Connecticut public safety workers rally against layoffs. Right. Oh, I want to thank a friend, Larry, for Larry Dorman, for sending this over to us. Uh, this this updates. Uh, sorry, he can't be with us. He's, he's been, a public affairs coordinator for AFSCME. Yeah, and he's been trying to get with us here every these Wednesdays, but he's, with all these with all these struggles and these problems, he's been winding up uh, working every every Thursday night. Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. Yeah, to, yeah. He's he's, he's probably he's under a lot of pressure. Well, I'm he's sure. doing a lot of training. He's doing a training program tonight, and mm -hmm. he can't get out to. to much later, so he's... And he has a lot of responsibilities when these things happen. He's a public affairs guy, you know, so... Anyway, uh, let me, let me go on here. Hartford, hundreds of public state workers... There we go. Hundreds of public... State public safety... Jeez, I can't... State remember. public safety union members, public police officers... Public officers, fighters, firefighters, correctional officers, and others rallied at the state capitol Tuesday to protest the state government's plan for layoffs and cuts to public services. With respect to uh, those who protect, um, respect those who protect was the rally cry. But uh, the workers say they refuse to give back any of the benefits negotiated in union contracts. Democrat Governor, Democrat, uh, Governor Dan Malloy has said his goal is to cut roughly 1,900 state worker jobs by June 9th to address a $220 million deficit in current budget. Uh, budget fix was passed by both houses of the state legislature on Tuesday. Workers at the rally spoke about... Uh, where did I go? Oh, there it is. 
Workers at the rally spoke about how the threat of more layoffs and cuts to vital services if concessions aren't made well will make Connecticut a more dangerous place. Malloy warns of considerable layoffs if concessions are not made, but the unions argue they have given back a lot in the past. Back in 2009 and 2011, we gave back $1.6 billion. That's quite a lot of money, Charles Delarocco, head of the union for the State Judicial Police Department, said. The unions claim they're not the reason the state is in financial crisis. They suggest the state should tax Yale University's $25.5 billion endowment to help erase the deficit. We are the individuals who protect Connecticut citizens, said the coalition spokesman. Charles Delarocco, a state Supreme Court police officer and president of ASME Local 749, we ensure that there is order at our correctional institutions and courthouses, our state parks and college campuses. We monitor the compliance of law offenders upon release from prison. CPSEC members serve all, all serve for one main purpose, to help keep Connecticut safe. The rally began Tuesday morning around 10 a.m. It was organized by the Connecticut Public Safety Employee Coalition a group of labor unions representing 10,000 state workers. Glenn Taraliki, Connecticut's police and fire union president, stirred up the crowd by addressing Malloy, who was not present. You made promises. You said that you would not open up the pension and health care agreement, he said. Many at the rally responded with, liar. Let's see. Let's hear what they have to say. It's only... 35 seconds, is that right? <laughs> just going to hear, liar, liar. Oh, well, whatever comes up. Oh, well. Let's say buffering. Yes, very buffering annoying. Buffering these videos. Annoying, annoying. Well, that doesn't that doesn't look like look it. Like, it doesn't look it like it. It either was taken down or... Oh, here we go. Oh, here it is. Buffering. See, it's not compatible with our system so much. No, nah, it's just a video that's slow by Fox. Oh, when you know it, huh? Well, I'll look up and just forget that. It's not going to happen. No. I don't. It's just a bunch of people marching around. Nothing big, no big deal. Okay, so. Uh, that's that. That's that. Let's go back. Yes. No, why don't they tax you? What's the thought on that? Well, they don't. They're not mentioning that too much. Uh, I don't know. This is interesting. I, I wanted to mention this because um, there was such a, a rigged deal in Arizona in that in that in that primary uh, against Bernie that there was election fraud all over the place. Uh, by, the, by the Democrats. Oh, is he protesting that? Is yeah, he, he, he has, and so is uh, a lot of other people. He has had witnesses all over the place. Good. And, uh, what What was the nature of the fraud? Well, the fraud was is they didn't have enough voting places. They had, and they, oh, okay. They, uh, oh, they, that's right. They took down, they, they used to have over 200. Now they only had 60 voting places. People stood in line for four or five hours trying to trying to vote, and they had an overwhelming number of people trying to vote. But what they were doing is trying to suppress that vote so people would not, you know, because cause anybody who... A low them, voter turnout favored Hillary Clinton. Exactly, and they favored all the other Jamos in the in the, in the Republican Party. But it only favored uh, Trump, uh, a high turnout favored Trump, and favored, of course, 
Here, take this, take this billion. Uh, and hundreds of billions are just take it. You know, they, they, they lost it all. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Backsheesh. Unbelievable. And they put it in their own pockets. So yeah. People were taking suitcases of cash. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, that I was mean, never investigated. Nobody no, did anything about no, it. They didn't talk about that at all. So anyway, now there's another two hundred and twenty-three million dollars missing from. Gee, the Democrats don't take nearly as much as the Republicans. Just, well, now that it's down to 2.3 trillion. I was telling you that, that Rumsfeld yeah. says 2.3 trillion was missing from the from the Pentagon. Let's say 2.3 trillion. Uh huh. That's Amazing. One day before the oh, that was before the 9/11 attack. Oh, I, I thought it was before the Iraq attack. That's what it costs to have it yeah. done. No, two point three trillion. Hmm? No, it cost that much to to do DC to crash everything. The World Trade Center, yeah, they had to yeah. they had to organize that and they had to pay yeah. hush money too. Yeah. 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 Pentagon, the day before nine one one. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld declared war, not on foreign terrorists. The adversary is closer to home. It's the Pentagon bureaucracy. He said money wasted by the military poses a serious threat. In fact, it could be said that it's a matter of life and death. Rumsfeld promised change, but the next day, the world changed. And in the rush to fund the war on terrorism, the war on waste seems to have been forgotten. My 03 budget. Hmm. Calls for more than $48 billion in new defense spending. More money for the Pentagon when its own auditors admit the military cannot account for 25% of what it already spends. According to some estimates, we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. $2.3 trillion, with a T. That's $8,000 for every man, woman, and child in America. To understand how the Pentagon can lose track of trillions... Consider the case of one military accountant who tried to find out what happened to a mere 300 million. We know it's gone, but we don't know what they spent it on. Jim Minnery, a former Marine turned whistleblower, is risking his job by speaking out for the first time about the millions he noticed were missing from one defense. There you go. So anyway, it just tells you that uh, there's, there's a history of it. And anybody no, that's a, it. and anybody that's a whistleblower, they get ruined. Their life is ruined. Yeah. Here's a, I like this one um, because, in some ways, it, it's it's good for good for us to hear. Economist argues pie in the sky Sanders will, in fact, make the economy great again. Leading economists argue with Sanders' bold economic agenda would deliver standards of well-being for the overwhelming majority of Americans in ways that we have not experienced for generations. That'd be nice. As a Democratic primary race tightens, Hillary Clinton has been trying to cast opponent Bernie Sanders as unrealistic and pie in the sky. But a leading University of Massachusetts economist says such criticisms are dead wrong. And in fact, the Vermont senator's proposals are precisely what will make the economy great again. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And in a, in a column uh, published at the right. Nation on Tuesday, Robert Poland, distinguished professor in economics at UMass Amherst and co-director of Political Economy Research Institute, uh, examines the major policy items under standards uh, economic agenda. These include a single-payer health care system, including the federal minimum wage of $15 an hour, free tuition of public colleges and universities to be financed by a Robin Hood tax and Wall Street transactions, Yay. <laughs> and large-scale public investments in renewable energy and infrastructure. Pollan's conclusion, this program works handily. And all of his major proposals are grounded in solid economic reasoning and evidence, Pollan states. Overall, the Sanders program is capable of raising living standards and reducing insecurity for working people and the poor, expanding higher educational opportunities, and reversing the decade-long trend toward rising inequality. Uh, it, would, it could bring Wall Street's dominance under control and help prevent a repeat of the financial crisis. It will also strongly support investments in education, clean energy, public infrastructure, generating millions of good jobs in the process. Uh, Pollan's analysts, uh, analysis uh, builds on previous research, mm -hmm. including his own. It takes a big picture to look at the potential impact of Sanders' policies, refuting claims made by Clinton and her supporters that they would stymie job and economic growth. When discussing this minimum wage increase, Pollan dismisses the idea that employers uh, would not be able to absorb the cost of wage increase. That's Cite right, Republican. I know. Thing. Citing a recent study by Perry colleague uh, Jeanette Weeks Lim and himself, Pollan states, even fast food restaurants with it, which employ a disproportionate share of minimum wage workers are likely to see their overall business costs rise by only about 3 0.4% per year during a four-year phase in uh, for the minimum wage. Four years, my God, it's, that's absurd for it to take so long, you know, mm -hmm. to, to do that. I know it. It's not fair. But um, anyway, following, I, I mean, by the time it's, by, by the by four years' time, that any any gain will be wiped out, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's it should be happening right away. It's ridiculous. And Pollan argues that the overall economy will benefit from the gains in equality tied to the minimum wage increase, explaining that greater equality means people working, people have more spending power, and turn support greater overall demand in the economy. Referencing a paper that he long, along with a team, um, and it goes on and on and on. But so anyway, if you give people more gonna, money, if they're, they're, they're going to spend, they're going to spend it, which gets the economy going. You have to do that. You have to do that. That's what makes sense. Reducing people's pay and just causes what we have right now. But it only makes the wealthy wealthier, and, that, mm -hmm. and it gives, and it makes the, everyone else, you know. So, up. you know, a hamburger costs everybody the same. But if wealthy people are making more money and you're making less, you're not going to buy as many hamburgers. What are you looking at? Facebook employee admits yeah. to Bernie Sanders blackout. I don't know what that means. Mm. Oh, we blacked out Bernie Sanders? It seems like uh, they've been blacking him out. So Facebook employee admits to Bernie's blackout. This is really scary. I'm a member of a lot of different groups from cars and trucks to Bernie Sanders. Even Hillary or Trump grows on Facebook. I use them all to promote Bernie, trying to change one mind a day. Today I was talking to Hillary supporter within a group called Hillary versus Bernie. 
It was a very good conversation that lasted over two hours with a total of 86 comments. The Hillary supporters' main subject was how about Hillary tells the truth. I was trying to explain to her how Hillary lies over and over. She then, then turned the subject into saying, so does everyone, even Bernie. After about an hour of asking her to show any real proof of Bernie lying, she gave up and said, look it up yourself, and I don't have time for you. <laughs> These statements came after two-hour conversation. My last comment was going to be, clearly you can't post any proof, nor can I, because he never lies. But when I hit enter, I got this pop-up. Oh. I thought it was a glitch, so I refreshed the page, but the same thing happened. I clicked the link and was sent to, face, to a Facebook appeal form. I filled it out saying, I have done nothing wrong. I, a few hours went by and I got the email titled, Your Facebook Appeal, Please Read. It was not from abuse at facebook.com or any of the Facebook email addresses, so I first thought spam. Then I was like, how can anyone know I'm blocked from posting anything on Facebook besides me? The email was a guy saying he works for Pay Facebook and to contact him via Skype. This was extremely weird, but I was curious to see where this was going. I added him on Skype. He accepted me right away and said, I'm going to tell you something you may or you may not believe. All I ask is you do not share my email or Skype. I replied back, okay, but why not just contact me via a fake email and Skype them? He said they are fake, but I still feel I could be traced. I said, fair enough, but what is this all about? He said, I work for Facebook, and I'm reaching out to people who have been blocked on Facebook after posting words like, feel the burn. Oh. At this point, I'm kind of freaking out. How does anyone know I have been blocked from posting, and they also have my personal email and know me uh, posting. Uh, he then began to explain to me Facebook is actively and automatically blocking millions of accounts with an algorithm that detects people who post keywords like feel the burn. I, for example, was banned from posting anything for 30 days due to the fact I posted feel the burn. Wow. He also said, quote, in a staff briefing, everyone was told to deny any appeal that happened due to posting political opinions. As he laughed and said, these members are banned due to spamming. Give them time to calm down. I asked him why not go public with a widely viewed TV network or a huge website like Huffington Post. I told him most likely the reason huge websites and news stations won't talk about it is because they are scared to post anything without having a face to back it up with, but I understand why he is scared to come out. He could be sued for breach of contract. He'll lose his good job. He would never be hired after leaking company information. He said, I promised I would do my best and get the information out to the world, and this is insane. I knew the corrupt corporations ran the media, but I never thought it would get down to blocking people from Facebook. Oh, this guy's naive. Huh. Anyway. All I, uh, I can say there's plenty of Bernie stuff on the Internet, but, you know what I mean? That you can read? Sure. I mean, we're reading a bunch of stuff here. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe it, it could be spam. I hate that stuff. I mean, I, I hate spam. A lot of them do spam. They keep spamming. Oh, really? Oh, uh, man, yeah. 
They get you, and then they just. Well, what I hate, up. what I personally hate, is you'll be reading something, and then some ad comes along and kills the whole up. center yeah, of your. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on Facebook, they got a lot of advertisements. So I I have the that. honor of saying I'm not on Facebook. Yes, well, I'm smart, but at the same time, I am. And uh, don't let those pesky facts get in the way of your emotions. This is from my friend Iona Miller, and. Uh, she says, the backfire effect, I thought this was interesting, mm-hmm. why facts don't win arguments and how emotions win arguments over people because people Passion. don't listen to facts. No, they don't. They don't listen to facts, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's just kind of good. Backfire effect, why facts don't win against arguments. Let's say you're having an argument with a friend about, oh, let's say Obamacare, even who's the best quarterback in the NFL is. You present your friend with a set of facts that you would think would clinch your argument, and yet, while the facts you present clearly contradict your friend's position, you discover that presenting your friend with these facts does nothing to correct his or her false or unsubstantiated belief. In fact, your friend is even more emboldened in his or her belief after being exposed to corrective information. That's like Hillary. That's that's like Hillary, Hillary, Hillary people. You know, it's like, yeah. A group of Dartmouth researchers have studied this problem, the so-called backfire effect, which is defined as an effect in which corrections actually actually increase misperceptions among the group in question. The problem here may be the way your friend is receiving these facts. Since your friend knows you and your opinions well, he or she does not view you as an omniscient source of information. When it comes to receiving corrective information about public policy, ensued the author of Dartmouth study note. People typically receive corrective information within objective news reports, pitting two sides of an argument against each other, which is significantly more ambiguous than receiving a correct answer for an omniscient, uh, omniscient rather, a source. In such case citizens are likely to resist to reject arguments and evidence contradicting their opinion, a view that is consistent with a wide array of research. So when we read a news story that presents both sides of an issue, we simply pick the side we, we happen to agree with, and it reinforces our viewpoint. But what, uh, what of those individuals who don't simply resist challenges to their views, but who actually come to hold their original opinions even more strongly? The author described the backfire effect as a possible result of the process in which people counter-argue, preference incongruent information, <clears throat> and bolster their pre-existing views. Huh. People counter-argue on welcome information vigorously enough, they may end up with more attitudinally congruent information in mind than before the debate, which in turn leads with more... <laughs> which in turn leads them to report opinions that are more extreme than they otherwise would have. <laughs> that, that happened to me the other that's, day. That's sort of, that uh, don't you think that day. characterizes the Republican Party? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. But the Democratic Party, too. And, you know, it's, it's like I was talking to a guy the other day, and uh, he, just, he just was so adamant about Trump. It was, it was, it was almost In absurd. support or against? In support. And, uh, you know, regardless of, of how crazy the guy is, you know, but this study goes a long way to explain the state of rational discourse in the country right now. So what can be done? 
How can you have a more effective discussion with your friend about Obamacare or Peyton Manning? <laughs> Think about an argument more as a partnership, says Julia Gallif, president of the Center of Applied. Um, and read about that here. So let's just check and see how we can make an argument more of a friendship. Okay. Key to rational argument, reframe it as a partnership. One important mental shift that I and other people have found really useful in remaining fair-minded and objective in arguments is instead of thinking about the argument as a battle where you try to win, reframe it in your mind so that you think of it as a partnership, a collaboration in which the two of you together or the group of you together are trying to figure out the right answer. That makes it much easier to evaluate which arguments are good and which arguments are bad because you're motivated by getting the right answer together rather than for having whatever argument you came into discussion with turns out to be the right answer. In their own words is recorded in Big Things Studio. Well, I happen to I agree with that kind of concept, but, you know, there are a lot of people you're not going to be uh, uh, in partnership with. Right. You know, more, more than most, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Uh, American death and terrorism versus again. But anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting stuff. Here's a good one. In Syria, militias armed by the Pentagon are fighting those armed by the CIA. Seriously. But yay, keep believing that our government doesn't have enough money to fund your school, <laughs> your kids' school. All right? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Uh-huh. They got enough money to fight each other in different agencies. Oh boy. Well, anyway, here's here's a here's a statement here from Ask Me. Uh, it says, "Here's you want to make America great again. Here's how you really do it: you strengthen the unions, raise the minimum wage. Yep, stop corporate welfare. Bring manufacturing jobs back home." Penalize companies that hide their profits overseas to escape tax liabilities. And uh, right-to-work laws. And get big money out of politics. I yeah. agree with all of that. That would be my platform. Yeah. Just uh, this was uh, this was kind of interesting. The the the, uh, the right-to-work uh, or that you know that uh, California teachers yep, thing yep. the Friedrich. Oh, they won that. No, they lost. Oh. See, the Supreme Court. Uh, uh, organized labor won a major judicial victory today as the Supreme Court downed a member following uh, Scalia's death last month, deadlocked four to four on a high-profile case concerning uh, the ability of public sector unions to collect fees. Uh, this worked out great that Scalia died, you know. It goes back to the lower court, though. Still, it's out of there, you know. And then uh, come uh, back up. Yeah, but they got it went four to four, and they they shot it down. All right, the case Frederick versus California teachers challenged the ability of public sector unions to collect so-called fair share fees, um, covering collective bargaining costs from collect uh, from individuals who are represented by the unions but not the members, which um, you know. Um, the ruling was the start. Uh, wait a minute. In challenging the practice, conservative groups were seeking the overturn uh, almost 40 years of legal precedent 
and severely limit the ability of public sector unions to operate. And the split uh, decision means that the ruling of the lower court, and in this case the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which upheld the practice in 2014, will remain in place. Mm. The ruling was the starkest demonstration yet of the effect that the late uh, Justice Scalia just had had on the orientation of the court. Unsurprisingly, Scalia was a, a vociferous opponent of fair share fees, and before his death, the court was widely expected to rule five to four against the California Teachers Association and thereby cripple the fundraising uh, efforts of public sector unions nationwide. Such a move would have been a significant blow to one of the last major bastions of unionization in the United States and represented the largest, uh, the latest in a long string of conservative assaults on workers' rights. Instead of workers' associate, uh, advocates have won a major victory in the split decision provides a stark illustration of the effects that one man can have on the court. Scalia's death has significantly altered the balance of the, of the court, giving liberal justices the upper hand for the first time in years and opening up the possibility of one of the most liberal courts in decades. Even if Republicans miraculously decided to end their congressional obstructionism, the uh, moderate uh, Merrick Garland uh, ascension to the uh, bench would still create a court with much more liberal bent than it hasn't seen in the case in years. And Garland has been a prominent supporter of union rights throughout his career. And today, rulings show that even with their shocking obstructionism, Republicans cannot continue to impose their neoliberal uh, agenda on American workers. So there you go, babe. That's it. I guess that's it. All right. Well, all right. So anyway. Huh. So that that case got kicked uh, back. Yeah. Or will get kicked back kicked back to the Supreme Court when they appoint someone. Sure. And. Uh, Well, even if it does, uh, if, if that other guy is in there, uh, the new guy, he'd still vote for union rights. He was a strong union supporter. Well, you can support someone else who, you know, don't support her. What are you talking about? I don't want to support know. Hillary Clinton. That's who I'm talking about. Who were you mentioning? Unions. Yes. I don't want to support Hillary. I want to support no, Bernie. No, no, that has nothing to do with this article, though. No, no. Uh, we were talking. And we wanted. No, we were talking yeah, about we, the Supreme Court article uh, about the uh, the, the, the Supreme Court for workers' rights. Yeah. Yeah. That well, has nothing to do with Hillary. Well, that's going to get. It's going to get kicked. It got kicked down to the lower court. It will. And then uh, what happens is they appoint someone to the, another person to no, the it's, Supreme it's, Court. It's, it's, yeah, well, that's that's not a problem. It's not a problem. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, for now, it's it's a it's a victory for the unions. Right? Well, that's good. Well, that's what's important. <laughs> With most of the largest organized workforce in the United States going to the bargaining table before the end of next year. It's likely that more workers will be seeing raises through the collective bargaining process, 215 to 216, than at any other point in recent American labor Well, that's history. good. But that's if there are any like, jobs. Now, that now this was published in September 215. Mm -hmm. Okay. Actually, 
yesterday, November 11th. I don't know how good things look now for people. No, but uh, it says, uh, well, between, you know, bargaining process between now and, and 2016. Well, we're already in 2016. Well, we're in the bargaining so. position. The, you know, so. so says the AFL-CIO, whose report released Friday, this is September again, yeah. uh, uh, offers a comprehensive look at the current state of collective bargaining in a period that is estimated 5 million American workers will bargain for new contracts. The analysis uh, finds the working people who bargained for new contracts in the first half of 2015, uh, saw their wage increases an average of 4.3%, a jump of $1,147 a year for the average worker in the U.S. Ooh, that's good. That's good news for workers pushing for minimum higher, higher minimum wage uh, nationwide campaigns like Fight for 15. And uh, collective bargaining is our best tool to raise wages in America, the report says. It should be uh, front and center uh, as Congress considers policy and uh, as president candidate announces agenda, presidential candidates, and moreover, the results will illuminate, illuminate the uh, larger issues underpinning chronic wages. I don't know. You know, the, the problem that we're having is that our state there, we have such a huge deficit I wonder how many other states are suffering oh, the way you are. And how is that going to improve wages? No. I don't see any correlation there personally. You know, they're going to lay off people. Those that are left, will they get made, paid more? Yeah. Maybe? Probably. I don't know. Well, it's, kind of, it's kind of scary when you think about it. Arizona's Secretary of State confirms election fraud happened. Right. Okay, we'll do something about it. There's a video here. Or Bernie will have to well, go he's, to court. He's, he's pretty thick because he, he's right on about that. Okay. You want to read that? Arizona Secretary of State has confirmed that election fraud took place in Arizona on the primary on March 22nd. During yesterday's testimony at the Arizona State Capitol in Phoenix, Secretary of State Michelle Reagan was asked what her office was doing to investigate the claims that registration for thousands of voters had been changed from Democrat or Republican to Independent as U.S. undercut. Previously uh, reported, thousands of voters were given provisional ballots, which actually aren't counted due to their party registration mysteriously showing up in the system as independent or party not declared. Uh, Reagan answered yes when asked if she knew for certain voter registration had been changed prior to the primary election. The following then followed up by saying, this was something that I know happens, and I know it happens to people in this room. It's not hearsay. It happened to someone in my own office. One of my employees was registered as a particular party, went to go vote, and I don't want to divulge his personal details, but it didn't, but it happened to him. While Reagan did give information that the voter database was hacked, as Anonymous has suggested, um, she did say the uh, elections division, division was cross-checked all of the voters who cast provisional ballots and seeing how many had been registered 
as one party or another party to the uh, March 22nd primary. Mm. In one particular case, a voter named Bianca, who has documentation proving she's been a registered Democrat since 2014, didn't show up in her county's voter registration database on primary day. One day before going to the polls, Bianca was still in the system as she used that information to determine where she needed to go in order to vote. So she got purged, huh? Because Arizona is a closed primary state, those who weren't previously registered as Democrat, Republican, or Green are prohibited from voting in primary elections. In its investigation of voter suppression claims in Arizona, Anonymous made the case that because Arizona stores voter registration information in easily hackable databases, it would be easy for any hacker to gain access to databases and change voter registration from one of the approved parties to independent. This would render thousands of votes impotent in the primary and drastically change the outcome. In this video, a man is seen teaching his three-year-old child how to hack an SQL database. The enraged voters who flooded the state capitol building in Phoenix yesterday are largely calling for a revote as the problems with the primary extended far beyond the party registration mishap alone. Reagan has promised provisional ballots will eventually be counted if they can somehow determine that party affiliation has been improperly changed, but has flatly denied the possibility of revote thus far. Mm. So, I'll tell you, it's just such a dirty business. And how everybody seems to have forgotten about Bill Clinton going into the polls in Massachusetts, in Massachusetts yeah, sure. campaigning for his wife. Say, hey, vote for me, vote for my wife. Yeah. Oh, man. It's really sick. <laughs> Let's get the voter fraud and voter suppression and everything. All hell broke is breaking loose in Arizona election fraud hearing. That's good. See, that's what happens when your mother moved out of Arizona. The place fell apart. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, a raucous hearing, uh, a raucous hearing on the election fraud in the Arizona primary is still going on in Phoenix. Uh, as of this writing, the hearing was moved to a separate room and is currently in recess due to continued outbursts of protests in the gallery. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Oh, People are probably furious. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ellen Purcell began the Arizona election fraud hearing by saying, I want to begin by apologizing what took place on March 27th. As I said in the past, I'm deeply sorry. However, it's clear that the people of Arizona have no intention of forgiving or forgetting. Why should given, they? Given the anger expressed by those who signed up to speak on alleged election fraud. The rowdy crowd is parading up to speak in large numbers, calling for Purcell's resignation and for a revote. Our, our right to vote uh, and to have the vote counted is the most direct way that citizens can participate in the political system. People tried to do our civic duty uh, and couldn't. Arizona citizen Patrick Scheifter, Scheifter said, you make, made people choose between voting and keeping their jobs. You must resign. Stop pretending that you represent us. We do not want platitudes. This will not end today. We will be back every vote to hold you accountable. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Air Force veteran Dean Palmer, a horrific experience voting in Mayococa County. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, my experience down there, my experience down there was tough. People in wheelchairs and canes in the heat, and we're out of provisional ballots by 7 a.m. So many people, were they wheeled up there and got hit with the sprinklers. So many people, they couldn't take it. Uh, they had to uh, leave. People were crying. The executive director of Arizona Student Association shared the testimony of a student who had just come back from a one-year tour in the Army. I just spent a year laying down my life to protect the rights of Americans. I said death every single day. One of the things I kept telling myself was it was worth it. Yet the right that I looked looked at death over a year for was taken from me. There were no parking spaces, no handicap spots, and when I went back to my car, I was afraid that I would get a parking ticket, said another woman. The mood of the crowd was often raucous, cheering wildly at every mention of a revote and booing every time Purcell or in Arizona State of Secretary of State Michelle Regan tried to shrug off responsibility. Michelle Uginti Rita, who chaired the hearing, could barely keep order as people often shouted for a revote. And at one point, the hearing broke down completely as citizens cried out that their place in line to speak had been skipped. Arizona State Representative Jonathan Larkin is the only member of the hearing who was openly calling for Purcell to resign. He demanded to know how voters can get in touch with Purcell after the hearing. When she advised them to go to her website, he dryly asked, and are you ready for the flow this time? Representative Larkin was often silenced by Representative J.D. Mezard throughout the proceedings, particularly when Larkin linked the voting suppression of the previous primary to the passage of the infamously unpopular State Bill 1516, which permits the transfer of campaign funds from one candidate to another. In other words, the bill allows candidates to treat each other to cash injections whenever they please, which critics say... Would lead to undue influence and backdoor deal-making. Yeah, Secretary of State Reagan said, we could debate 1516 all day, and the crowd shouted, do it, which after Representative Massard snidely mocked the crowd with, do you guys even know what 1516 is? This drew a forceful round of booze. Mesnard re- repeatedly told the crowd that no revote would be taken, despite repeated insistence from Arizona citizens that their voice had not been heard in this primary. At another point, there was a co- uh, confrontation between a protester and officers who attempted to remove him. Let's go to this and see the hail. Listen to them yelling. so lazy that you got caught. 
You, Purcell, are a snake in the grass. <laughs> Don't we see you? <laughs> oh, boy. So that's, that's, that's pretty good. And this is the one. I think this was an Arizona Election Fraud hearing live stream. I don't, I don't know if that's the, how long that is. Oh, my God, it's two hours long. Steps are taken to ensure this will not happen again. We have three more votes this year, not mentioning the many more votes we have in the future. You close polling places. You deny people the right to – you denied proper ballots. You made sure that many people had to choose between voting or keeping their jobs. Then our recorder goes out and blames the voters for this. How dare you blame us for this? To those officials that failed us, you must show us you have integrity. You must resign. Stop pretending that this is how things are supposed to be. Stop pretending that incompetence, corruption are acceptable from elected officials. Stop pretending you represent us. We do not want platitudes. We want we do not want empty promises. We want action and accountability. This will not end today. We will be back every election, every vote, holding you all accountable. We will we are secure in the knowledge that our rights will be restored. Power and feather them and send them out of town on a rail. I believe in that. That's what they did in the revolutionary times. They got action. Yeah, they did. But they don't tire and feather anyone now. No. It worked very well. Yeah, it did. Why do I support, what does it say here? Why do I, because I don't want to live in a... Why don't, because... What does it say? Why do I support free universal health care paid for with our taxes? Because I don't want to live in a country where sick people have to set up a GoFundMe page just so they don't die. Oh, boy. That's that's so true. While we pretend Obama is coming for your guns and religious freedom, we're going after your Social Security and Medicare and rigging the tax code to prevent it to uh, benefit the 1%. Oh, and who is that? Paul, Paul Ryan. And Mitch McConnell, yeah. Yep. Yeah, nice Republican guys. Way. Yep, Republican This way. was really kind of staggering when I read this today. I, I was very surprised, really very, very surprised. At what that. was that? But... Um, Attorney General Loretta Lynch warns municipal and state judges to ease off prosecution of minority criminals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Like, justice should be colorblind. But, you know, that was so weird because there's another one here. Yeah, here it is. Let me look into this. This one really really surprised me because um, they're saying there's too many black or minority people in prison. Well, you know, what are you going to start letting all these people go, committing these oh, crimes? Oh, what they're going to do is they're going to arrest That's ridiculous. White. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's ridiculous. For doing nothing. Yeah. Attorney General Loretta Lynch issued a nine-page letter through her civil rights division of municipal and state judges around the country uh, warning them to ease off prosecution of criminals, particularly those uh, of minority status or else face loss of federal funding. So what will happen, in order to keep their jobs, they'll just uh, arrest as many white people as they can. I guess. But it says specifically she wants the 6,500 municipal-level court uh, in the country to offer community service in lieu of jail time to provide more amnesty days to those with outstanding warrants so they can pay a fee instead of serving behind bars, the New York Times reported. The stop... uh, in the recommendation yeah. comes with the caveat. 
Those who failed to comply could face the same type of federal scrutiny that Ferguson, Missouri local police and courts saw after the police shooting of a black teen. The officer was found by local and federal authorities to have acted in self-defense, but the Attorney General's office tasked the locals to change how they conducted some investigations and court hearings. Lynch said she currently evaluating discrimination complaints against several court systems. In uh, the letter, Lynch's civil rights teams also warned locals that policies that mandate uh, arrests for failures to pay court fines and fees have an adverse disparate impact on blacks. In court systems receiving federal funds, these practices may also violate Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 when the unnecessarily imposed disparate harm on the basis of race, the letter stated. Well, let's face it. The bails that are, uh, that are put in place for poor people are, are absurd. The, exactly. Bail is supposed to be something that you can achieve. It's been made I mean, look unachievable. At that, well, look at that, look at that kid, that uh, uh, affluenza kid. Yeah. Right? Now, he, he killed somebody. Poor right? people. Poor people. Right? And then he got off with a $75,000 bail, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then he took off. Uh-huh. Right? Here's a rich kid with a $75,000 bail after he kills four people, yeah. right? His mother, who who, was, who took him as well, okay, she came back and she got, a, I think, a $25,000 bail for, for her, yeah, even though she was flight, a flight risk. Flight, yeah. Even though she was still a flight risk, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't somebody, somebody else sells a few drugs and they get... Uh, a million dollar bail. Exactly. Where this Ridiculous. guy, this guy kills four people in a drunken uh, uh, to go ride that yeah. he took, and uh, and and then uh, and still and gets nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a criminal. I mean, it's criminal the fact that the, that the courts can do this. But anyway, in court systems receiving federal funds, these practices have also violated. I just read oh, okay. that. Uh, Critics say the Justice Department's watchful eye is only going to drive up crime rates in the coming years. In five years, said one senior-level Justice Department official who was cited anonymously in the New York Post, the crime rate is going to be crazy again. I don't see the liberal judges even attempting to make people pay or spending time making an accurate determination of a person being indigent. It's another way way of not holding people accountable for their actions. Another critic, Hans Bader, a former federal civil rights attorney who now works with the Competitive Enterprise Institute predicted the guidance letter from the feds would prove a massive assault on the criminal justice system. Yep. That's, that's exactly what's going on. It's like, that's ridiculous. Well, let's stop favoring races. Oh, Why don't by we the way, by do the it way. You know, for everybody? Yeah, by the way, she's a, she's a Hillary lover, too. Oh, wouldn't you know it? She worked, for, uh, the, she worked with the Hillary campaign. Why don't we just say poor people instead of black people? They're poor Indians. They're poor oh, here Hispanics. We go. Well, here, poor here, here's a little one. Everyone wants to let nation break law without consequences. Yeah. That's, re- that's ridiculous. That's not a well. It's not a sound argument. I don't no. think. No. Well, we can we can just. Why don't we do it by income instead of by race? Yeah, that's what they're doing. No, they're doing it by race. It said black people. Well, yeah, but lower income people. Are going or or the minorities? Didn't um, say that. Well, that's what's happening. New York, the New York, in, as New York moves to decriminalize low-level offenses, arguing enforcement 
is rigged against the communities of color. Other large cities are coming under pressure from the Justice Department to do the same thing. Attorney General Loretta Lynch has issued a warning to municipal and state judges across the country that their courts could lose federal funding if they don't ease up on the fines and arrest warrants of minor crimes involving poor offenders, indigents, and so on. Well, as long as it's that way, because... And if it's minor crimes, I can understand. Uh-huh. But felonies, I mean, major felonies, like major... Well, nothing happened to that guy, as you said, that killed four people. Yeah, they, yeah That wasn't Lanza, a major felony. Lanza kid, yeah, you know, and yeah, stuff like that. This is what they're actually doing. And but it's, people it's should bad. have a reasonable bail yeah. so that they can continue working. Exactly. You know, and not, you know, it's ridiculous. But you, you have these bails of well, we hundreds got, of thousands yeah. of dollars for poor people. That they can't afford it. No. But anyway, that's our news tonight. I want to thank everybody who's listening. And, uh, you know, support your unions. And if you're in Connecticut, uh, you know, help the, you know, give your support to uh And I happen to, to agree. I happen to agree with her, though. I have to tell you that that people in low-level crimes should be allowed to get community service and or pay small bails in order to get out and keep their jobs. Yeah, I mean, especially a marijuana abuse Money, or, a, or a traffic violation yeah. or a DUI or something. Or if they uh, fail to show up for court or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. come on. But, but still, you, you know, you, you got to be, make, make sense, you know. So anyway. That's what that's our show tonight. So we want to thank you for joining us and talk to you later. Good night, folks. I agree with her. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.